The Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Are you looking to value your equipment more accurately? Target the right buyers and close more deals? Reach your ideal customer? Then look no further. Fusible isn't just about ag data. It's about action. Our best-in-class solution empowers you to value your equipment accurately, make informed decisions, and find the perfect prospects. Ignite your dealership's growth at fusible.com slash movingiron dash podcast. Out in the field, every decision counts. You wouldn't plant without testing your soil, so why would you prospect blind? Introducing EDA, your one-stop shop for ag equipment intel. EDA goes beyond specs and prices. You get deep-dive data on every piece of equipment like UCC filings that help track ownership changes and uncover potential sales leads. D&B firmographics, which help you understand the financial health and buying power of potential customers. Market trends that help you stay ahead of the curve and insights on equipment demands and pricings. With EDA, you're not just looking at data, you're seeing opportunity. Find the right buyer, sell smarter, and build lasting relationships. Visit edadata.com for your free demo and unlock the power of knowledge. For over 80 years, Iron Solutions has been your go-to data source for ag dealers, lenders, and manufacturers. Get powerful appraisal and value forecasting tools that fuel profitable decisions anytime, anywhere. Get your free demo at ironsolutions.com. Iron Solutions, confidence in every click. Today, there are many ways to finance ag equipment, but nobody delivers simple, fast, or flexible financing like AgDirect. Learn more about your options to buy, lease, and refinance equipment at agdirect.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Hello and welcome to Moving On Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and he's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the world of commodities. Sean, how are you doing this morning? Doing good, Casey. Doing real good. We have had some non-wet weather down here, which we've had the wettest winter I can recall. Uh, so I'm enjoying that weather before I 
head back out the road to Ohio later this week. So Ohio later this week. Okay. Um, what are you going to be speaking out there? Who are you going to be talking about there? It is going to be the high. It is Highland County Chamber of Commerce. Highland County Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, it's uh, the. The, 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 it's in Hillsboro, Ohio. They're having it actually at a at a at a big uh, at a big farm, big farm there. They're having a, a big 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 meeting at one of the big hangars. They have at this big farm there. So, well, that'll be fun. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm off here in Highland County, Ohio. Check out Shine, the big farm. There. <laughs> Enjoy that. All right, Sean. Everybody is ready to jump off the cliff right now. The price of great grains are at right now. We put out a pretty good report earlier this week. Kind of talking about this is this is the panic selling panic you know um, area of, of what we're at now. And you laid out some pretty nice historical picks of stuff and how things played out during these times. What that looked like. So um, I think in the favor of grains right now. If you look at long term stuff, okay, you got. Um, you know, Brazil is past fifty percent planted. Um harvesting far of the bean mark of the beans that are down there and then they're going into second crop corn planting right now. That's most that's been planted. We're going into the growing side. It's still been dry the second saw with the with the soybean side of stand strong. So I just talk a little bit about this the sense of panic that you that you uh, you read about and, and some of the things that you see out there that can be in grain over here as we move forward into the year. Well, I mean, to my view is if you want to study how a market bottoms, you should study past bottoms, right? I mean, you should study. I mean, it's, it panics in commodities. It's not unusual; it happens all the time. You get them because you have high, highly leveraged vehicles. So, in past grain market panics, what kind of things have we seen that preceded it? First of all, we've typically seen speculators get record short as a percentage of open interest. We have that. We typically see the rate of change, the two-year rate of change. Achieve a thirty percent decline or more, meaning that prices have declined over a two-year period of more than thirty percent. We have that. We look at relative value, which is the relative value of corn relative to all other commodities. When you get a particular commodity that's it reaches, you know, a, a an historical low point relative to everything else, meaning it's getting too cheap relative to everything else. You know, you tend to precede the, 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 a panic low. We're, we're seeing that. Um, there's a lot of you know technical tools you can look at that um, uh, you know that that can give you senses of oversold relative strength uh, Bollinger bands. I mean, I don't want to get you know too far afield with this kind of things, but all of them are are kind of lining up to where historical past panics you know have have reached their crescendo. Does it mean it can't go down tomorrow? I mean, with, you're picking the exact moment. I'm not saying any of these indicators can tell you that. And you don't need to know that. You just need to know when you're close. And so, so from all that perspective, everything says to me, uh, you know, that that we're we're definitely getting the kind of uh, myopic, uh, death cross kind of sentiment that you typically see when a market is ready to make a low. Now, when we look at outward reasons, it's I mean it's not rocket science. Everyone pretty much knows that when you have harvest you typically get harvest pressure until you've reached a 50 percent harvest point and then everybody who has to sell or had to sell because they didn't sell or they need to sell has sold and then the pressure valve comes off for a little while i mean post-harvest 
rallies are notorious. You know, it's, it's a common, it's common knowledge that this is what happens typically. And so we're now reaching that point for Brazil, which means the extremely low cash price for soybeans um, is starting to alleviate. It's starting to back off a little bit, and we should see um, that pressure come off. It doesn't mean a wild bull market. It just means that pressure comes off, and it allows the opportunity for the market to see a rally. Um, obviously, we know second crop corn in Brazil represents almost 80% of production, so it's the key uh, for uh, their production, for their balance sheet. Planting is just finishing up. Um, it, if you go down one meter layer, you know, you can actually, the satellite can actually figure this out now where they can go, they could go penetrate one layer down and to tell you what the moisture content is. It is the driest moisture content one meter down it is, that we've ever seen since we've been measuring it. Um, so, what that, what does that mean? That means that in order to have the crop come out okay, you have to keep getting rain to keep the topsoil wet because there's nothing underneath, right? Meaning, you just have to keep getting rain to keep the topsoil. If you don't, it, very, very quickly, you're going to get a flash drought because the minute the topsoil dries up and the, and the, and the, and the corn plant's going to look for moisture beneath, it's not there, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have trouble. It's going to be starved for moisture. So that, to me, you know, says that, the, that, that you know, you're starting – that's not the way you want to start a crop off at, especially your big crop. And so if we go into this mid-March – to early May, which is the core pollination period, and we uh, have below n- normal rainfall, we don't get that consistent rainfall. Um, you know, we're just going to have a crop that's going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, and um, I think the market's going to start to need to put some weather premium on. If you look at the, you know, I don't think too highly of weather models, but you know, Casey, the market trades them, so we always have to talk about them. But the weather models. Which I happen to agree with this time because my work says the same thing. Um, it's just there's just not a lot of rainfall for Mato Grosso, you know, that central west uh, where they, where most of the cor- second crop corn is grown. It just it just looks really dry for weeks out, and um, you know I just can't imagine Mark's going to look at that and say, "Oh, we're going to keep cash U.S. corn at three seventy five. I just I don't think so. And so we're going to put some weather premium on, and of course, if that forecast holds out or continues on into april you know then we could have more of an explosive uh move to the upside because then the markets can have to significantly you know downgrade the crop potential and um you know and like i said they were the number one exporter of corn in the world last year so to say that that doesn't mean anything you know i i would argue it means a heck of a whole lot uh so so uh, so that's there. And then, of course, just because uh, the first window of the polar vortex here in mid-February missed, meaning that the polar vortex stretched in the different direction than we were anticipating, meaning it stretched into uh, eastern Russia, Asia, China. They all got crazy cold and snow. Uh, doesn't mean that it, what happens is it stretches, it recoils, and we spin, and then we there's an opportunity for multiple stretches. And so um, we stretched in our in North America in January. I thought it was going to happen again here mid-February. It didn't, but there's another opportunity for a few more stretches. Um, and I think there's a better and average chance that some of these stretches could push into North America. 
the warmer weather that we've seen only makes more wheat coming out of dormancy. It makes more wheat start to grow. It makes more wheat start to be more vulnerable. And remember, as time goes on, you need the, the cold temperatures you need for winter kill go up. You know, in January, you need you know minus 20 degrees to get a winter kill. You know, now you just you just need a few degrees below freezing. So, so your your barrier for getting winter kill is, is rises. Um, I'm not sure if all people understand that. One thinks, oh, if it's you know 30 degrees in January, no, you're not going to have winter kill because it's in dormancy, and and so very very vulnerable. If you saw yesterday, you know, KC wheat was disproportionately outperforming SRW because there's there's some hint that we might get a quick cold shot here next week in the center, you know, where all the KC wheat is grown. You only need four hours, one night to yeah. do the do, to do the dance. It's not like you need days upon days of cold weather. You just need a quick shot. Um especially when the when the crops so unbelievably abnormally out of dormancy and actually starting to actually grow. It actually needs moisture right now. Um uh, yeah. So that, so that risk, you know, even though the, the market has ignored that risk, doesn't mean the risk has gone away. It's still there. And so, you know, and of course, my, the forecast we have for, uh, for May is completely different than the winter. Spring is spring, winter is winter. What drives those weather forecasts are completely different factors. So I, I, be, I keep getting this question over and over again from my customers that are asking whether the, 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 this uh, warmer period here in February, whether that alters our forecast for the a risk for May for a May freeze, and it doesn't change it at all. The, what's going on with the polar vortex stretch is a completely separate item from what the spring pattern is going to be. So that's that's also still on the table. So when you put all this together, when you put it all together, um, it sure seems to me like some speculators are going to say, you know, maybe 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 you know we should take a little length. We should take some of our short position, you know, ease it up a little bit, you know, take it off a little bit. Now that some of these other risks are starting to come into the fray, the dollar, generally speaking, has been a little weaker. You know, just China is finally uh, talking again because they're out of their vacation or uh, year-end holiday, and uh, they're they're starting to make stronger comments that they're going to support the stock market, support the economy, and um, you know, they've, they've put some orders out there for Brazil soybeans. We saw that uh, uh, even corn exports yesterday, uh, corn uh, numbers yesterday for deliveries were very, very strong. Not from China, by the way, just from others. So so when I just look at all that, I, I just it just seems to me you know, we might have at least initially traded our initial attempt at a low. And, and now we're going to begin to you know, actually go up for the first time in a couple of months because we've literally been down. Two months straight. I think. I think we've been down twelve straight weeks in a row. I think if I looked at my chart correctly yesterday, uh, or eight straight weeks or something like that. I mean, it's been a. We haven't had an up week in a while. This might be our first up week that we've had in several months. Which you know, markets can go up. Actually, you know, and people forget that. So yeah, they do. They do move around. They can go up. True statement. So you talked about. The situation again, the source of reporting you're talking about, some of the stuff in the stock market, you're looking at stuff in the cotton market right now, the cotton is right now, it's a dollar pound. So, uh, how'd you put it? You called it a commodity, what'd you say? Something? Co- it's a, it's a, yeah. Usually, 
what happens when commodities go down? They all go down. Everything goes down. It's a big deflationary crash. So when we had the 97 Asian currency crisis, the commodities all crashed. Everything went down. 08, 09, everything crashed. Was September 11, everything crashed. Of COVID, everything crashed. We're not seeing that this time. Certain things are crashing. Other things are, are exploding. So I'm, I, we're, I'm, I called it in the in, when we were talking. I call it commodity pickers market because you have cotton breaking out almost a dollar a pound now on the nearby. You know, I mean that's some of the highest prices we've seen in over a year. You have cocoa at all time highs, still surging. You still have orange juice, you know, near the highest levels ever. Uh, we've seen some some sizable rebounds in livestock. Um, so it's not all, you know, but yeah, natural gas has crashed. You know, crude oil has really taken on the chin. You know, energy has been really bad. But, you know, gold is, is you know, near the high. So it's really not your, your it's just not your, your normal commodity deflation cycle. It's it's really bifurcated and that's actually to me is encouraging because it says what's really going on is more of a, you know, every market has its own set of fundamentals. Every market has its own set of seasonalities. Every market has its own different set of drivers. We really should never trade them all together. You know, why cocoa and corn should go up and down together is preposterous, but you know, the markets do what they're going to do. So what I like about the market we have is that it's not saying to me, the sky is falling. It's you know we're going into a depression. There's no thing, there's no demand for anything. What it's saying to me, you know, is um, there there there's their market is trading individualized perceived fundamentals in each market, um, not trading the whole thing as one asset class, and that's actually favorable because it says that that that, that given that. That the gray market depression that we're seeing, which we you know we can go over, we've gone over all the reasons that it's happening, um, is really not likely to be an enduring situation. I mean, we're not likely to see grain prices stay low for for long because it's really not a commodity deflationary cycle. It's just that the grain markets got themselves in, in just in, in a in a little bit of a a tough spot after a couple of years of incredibly high prices. By the way, so I think it's a grain specific issue. Not a commodity-specific issue, and as such, we wouldn't expect years of depressed prices in grains like you would normally expect if we had everything falling because we have a uh, you know kind of a deflationary, depressionary kind of commodity markets. Right now, we're just we're seeing a lot of markets acting very, very well uh, given a different fundamental factor, which means if the if the grain markets find a more favorable, friendly fundamental factor, the money will come in and buy it. It's not opposed to buying commodities. It's not like it's it's shunning the whole asset class. It's just shunning grains right now because we've had a, a series of bearish forces that have conspired to create, you know, what where we are, this panic. So I, I to me that says that's good news. That means that this is not likely to be a, a multi extended year of of, you know, Low commodity. It just means that right now, right now, you know, grains are on the wrong side of the trade. But six months or twelve months, 
they're likely to be on the better side of the tree, and probably cocoa and orange juice and cotton are going to be making you know one year lows. You know, I, mean, I, I could just I think there's going to be a lot of yin and yang, give and take, um, for the foreseeable future. Um, and to me, that's a much better market to be in than if it's you know, and and it's just commodities are shunned everywhere, and there's no hope, no future. You know, those can last a long time like we had between 2012 and 2020 where most all commodities were just in the tank simultaneously. I do, right now, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing that at all. Actually, we'd be remiss here if we didn't at least point out the fact that while grains are struggling, uh, it's a great opportunity for livestock producers to lock in some low feed rate threats. So I guess Sean talk a little bit about that. Well, look, We've we've stated on your show and we've stated in our conference uh, our conference speeches all the time that we're in an extended period of significant price volatility. We're in a vol- price volatility cycle. People always view that as well, the upside. Well, no, it means up and down. Uh, volatility means up and down, right? So we had the up after COVID. Well, we had the down into COVID. We had the up after COVID. Now we have the down. You know, I mean, we've had wild price swings, um, and those are going, in our view, going to continue. Which means both sides are going to get a great chance to bring more money home on the farm. Right now, three seventy-five cash corn, depending on your exact basis levels in your local area. December two thousand twenty is the last time a livestock producer had a chance to buy cash corn. You know, at that price level. And why you wouldn't be locking that in now to a large degree, you know, in some shape, way, or form is beyond me because, you know, this is under under almost every circumstance I can see, sub four dollar cash corn is going to work in a livestock operation. Um, and so yeah, there's a tremendous number bean meal, you know, in the low three hundreds, you know, it can it can be five hundred a ton. Uh, at times, you know, it wasn't too long ago, it was 475 a ton. And now you're in a low 300 a ton, you know, very, very interesting opportunities for livestock, for end users of all, of all kinds to, um, to do something they wish for, for the last several years, they wished they had been more aggressive during COVID lows. And when we had those prices offered, and then of course, the livestock guys were chasing these high prices and it hurt them, greatly hurt them. Well, now you have an opportunity to, you get a second chance at the wheel. You get a second chance, you know, and so so the way it looks to me is, you know, the market's saying, okay, you missed 2020. Here you go. And unfortunately, we just talked before we started your recording this, history repeats every time. People say, if I ever get another opportunity to buy three, if I want, I'm going to do it. Then it comes in, they won't do it. Yeah, but, you know, it could go three, it could go 350. It could. You could still buy a few cents on it. Just start, you know, accuse, start accumulating cheap feed. No one knows where the low is. Yes, it could go lower, but you have to step in at some point and say, this is going to work under multiple scenarios in my business. I need to start averaging in at increasing length because if you don't do it now, then what are you going to do? So, so every, you know, the, the, by the time, if corn starts to really get into a bull market because of weather or some other reason, 
it's going to be when it go gets like north of five dollars futures. When it breaks file futures, everyone's going to start getting excited. Oh my gosh, the, the bull market's back! So you're not going to get your technical confirmation that the corn market's in a bull market until after it well crosses well over five dollars to five fifty futures. And by the time you get there, so what's what's your cash corn going to be then? Your five cash or that's your strategy you're going to wait for confirmation of a bull market so that you're going to buy you're going to buy five five and a half dollar cash corn because that's now a good deal when you had an opportunity today during a panic to buy 375 cash corn makes no sense to me why you would do that sure keep some powder dry i'm not saying buy it all right but come on guys you know, if, if you're an ethanol plant and you're not locking in 375 cash corn, if you're, you know, in the livestock business and you're not locking in some 375 cash corn, I mean, some places it's 350 cash corn because the, you know, in certain regions where the base is even wider, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just think you have to, you know, look at your long-term operation because livestock, you know, last time I checked, people aren't in it for a year or two. You know, they're in it for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. You know, you have to look at your feed needs, and that on that basis, you need to look at your feed needs on a multi-year basis, not a multi-month basis. Yes, hand-to-mouth has been a great strategy, and it's it's allowed you to participate in in seeing these prices fall week after week, month after month. Get it? But at some point, and we've shared you know, where we're at on that point. You have to appreciate where we are in the marketplace, and. The good news about a very volatile, uh, price volatile commodity market that we're in is that you're going to get multiple chances to do what the livestock producer can do now and what he had a chance to do in 2020. And as, and as depressed as the producer is right now, he'll he's going to get more opportunities to do what he was able to do in the last couple of years. If if you don't like the in this environment, in this very volatile price market that we see go, uh, continuing at least for the next decade, if you don't, you know, don't get too excited when it's very, very high because it's going to come crashing back down, and don't get too depressed when it's really, really low because it's going to come back up. That's what price volatility means. I mean, you look at the price volatility uh, that we had in the 1970s. I mean, just wild swings over and over and over. Just, you know, so get in the habit, get in the habit of, you know, selling those rallies and buying those, those declines. And, and, you know, when it would just really get in the habit of trying to go against the sentiment in the marketplace, everybody wants to be told they're doing something smart, right? Everyone wants to feel like people are telling them that they're doing the right thing. Buying corn right now, everyone says you're an idiot. You're a moron. You're, you know, you should, you know, what, how could you possibly buy corn? It's going to three. It's going to 275. All these ridiculous forecasts that are being put out there now by people out there. You have to just ignore all that because those guys aren't going to pick the low and they certainly aren't the guys that are going to pick the top. They're what I call their fair weather forecasters they just tell you what the sentiment is at the moment because that's what's popular and when the market turns they say well who could have known everybody got it wrong 
still listen to me. I know what I'm doing. And I'm not picking anybody out specifically. I'm just saying it's how the market operates, to, in, in, especially in today's market. Everyone's a fair weather market forecaster. Um, the media are fair weather market. I mean, whatever, whatever the trend is, they just keep pumping whatever stories they can to support the trend until the trend changes because that's the market we're in. Social media, AI, it's just feeding into momentum-driven forecasting. But that's not how you bring more money, more money home on the farm. You bring more money home on the farm by thinking about economics on the farm, by thinking about, is this a profitable price? What's the historical context of this price? What, you, know, you know, everyone knows that historically that the unpopular, uh, uh, the, the, the contrarian, um, the, the contrarian um, point of view is how you are able to sell tops and buy bottoms in terms of cash corner, cash, uh, you know, on either side, because we know that everyone is mostly bullish at the top and we know mo- people are mostly bearish at the bottom historically. So if that's the case, then, then you shouldn't be selling when everyone is bearish and you shouldn't be buying when everyone's bullish. You should try to get in the habit of doing the opposite when you feel that you're at those important lower boundaries or top boundaries. And we've discussed some ways to do that. Another way to do it, Casey, is you look at what's called pattern recognition uh, correlations, which means you go back and you say, when did corn, the corn price on the December contract or the July contract trade similarly since 1970? Like when have we had a similar price pattern? Then you look back and you say, okay, well, let's use an 85% correlation coefficient. And you match these different years, right? And you say, okay, well, these five years are pretty close, meaning whatever the psychology was for these years that made the market go up and down the way that it did, we're following that same psychology, right? Because that's what the market is. It's a it's a psychological barometer, and we ran that now. It's not perfect. Correlations uh, don't last forever, but it, it at least in the short run, it, it kind of gives you an idea. That based upon that analysis, it's showing that the market should start to turn up in March. Now, I'm not saying it's definitely going to turn up in March. I'm just saying that if you look at five prior years that had a similar 85% or higher correlation coefficient to how the corn market is trading right now, is suggesting that the market, at least in those years, would be expected to turn up in March. So it, it, do you live and die by that indicator? No, it's part of a whole series of other things and say, okay, well, this fits in with the idea that we're in the process of getting close to a low. And what you want to do now with this piece of information, say, okay, do we turn up in March? If we do, that then those price pattern models are continuing to we want to continue to pay attention to them until something happens where we diverge from that behavior it's just another way to you know figure things out casey it's you know like i said all i'm trying to to say there's no magic bullet that says this works every time and this is perfect and this never misses it's a series of things but what i'm saying is is that all these things that i've just we've just discussed are saying that you know this is it should be a really really good area to lock in physical corn, to lock in physical meal. Like like the buy side of these markets, the physical buy side of these markets, this is your time. 
to do something smart. So we're advocating that for anyone that will listen. Not everyone will, but we're advocating that this is a time that the end user is getting a great opportunity, just like the producer got a great opportunity to sell in 21 and 22. And uh, if you don't and you chase the market higher, you know, maybe the next time you'll act differently than you uh, than you did the, the time before. I mean, you know, unfortunately, you know, if, if you want different results, it's a, it's a cash phrase, but if you want different results than the results you've been getting, then you need to do something different than you've always done, right? I mean, right. it's always funny how, and I'm, I'm guilty of it as everybody else, we want different mm-hmm. results, but yet we do the same thing we always have, and then we get the same results we always have, and we're pissed off that we didn't get a different result. Yeah, but you got to do something different. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're only shot of a different outcome. You got to do something different. Now, maybe that different didn't work out this time, but you got to do something different until you find what works. And that's that's always the we, we love to fall back into our comfort zone, whatever that comfort zone is. And um, right now, I'm seeing you know very similar uh, actions being taken where farmers are selling into low and. End users who swear that they were going to buy all the corn they could under four are now balking. And, um, you know, to the extent that I can turn some of those people around and to make a different decision, hopefully I'll be a little more persuasive than not. And um, and that's where we're at. So. All right, man. Lots of stuff to think about there, and you're exactly right. You want something to change, you gotta, you got to change what you're doing. So that's, that's true. For sure. So, so I appreciate you being on the podcast. If folks want to reach out to you and get more information on what you're doing, Hacker Financial, what's the best, best way to do that? Two best ways is our website is hackett, H A C K E T T, advisors.com. Also, we have a Twitter page at Faradex, that's F as in Frank, E R I D E X 11. We also have a LinkedIn page. You know, from time to time, we put stuff out there. We're not habitual posters. We don't believe in spending our time surfing social media we rather do research and give good advice but from time to time we do put some stuff out there that people can follow um to see if the way we look at the ag market is of value to those that watch and listen to your show right. sean thanks for being on man we'll catch you again next week sounds good casey take care right on. i'm casey seymour moving on podcast check me out on facebook put on instagram moving on LLC. put a link in the moving on podcast and check me out over on the youtube channel which is the moving on podcast YouTube channel, and you can find us on TikTok and Snapchat, same place. Go to movingonlc.com, a brand new website, and it's all running. I'm sure there's some things I need to fix yet, but I'll find those along the way as, we, as those keep coming up. It is up there for everyone to check out. Sean will be at the Moving On Summit up there in November 4th through the 6th. If you want to get more information about that, send an email at movingonpodcast.com, and I'll be sure to reach out to you with those. The Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Are you looking to value your equipment more accurately? Target the right buyers and close more deals? Reach your ideal customer? Then look no further. Fusible isn't just about ag data, it's about action. Our best in class solution empowers you to value your equipment accurately, make informed decisions, and find the perfect prospects. Ignite your dealership's growth at fusible.com slash moving iron dash podcast out in the field every decision counts you wouldn't plant without testing your soil so why would you prospect blind 
Introducing EDA, your one-stop shop for ag equipment intel. EDA goes beyond specs and prices. You get deep dive data on every piece of equipment like UCC filings that help track ownership changes and uncover potential sales leads. D&B firmographics, which help you understand the financial health and buying power of potential customers. Market trends that help you stay ahead of the curve and insights on equipment demands and pricings. With EDA, you're not just looking at data, you're seeing opportunity. Find the right buyer, sell smarter, and build lasting relationships. Visit edadata.com for your free demo and unlock the power of knowledge. For over 80 years, Iron Solutions has been your go-to data source for ag dealers, lenders, and manufacturers. Get powerful appraisal and value forecasting tools that fuel profitable decisions anytime, anywhere. Get your free demo at ironsolutions.com. Iron Solutions, confidence in every click. Today, there are many ways to finance ag equipment, but nobody delivers simple, fast, or flexible financing like AgDirect. Learn more about your options to buy, lease, and refinance equipment at agdirect.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Move more iron with Axon. In the 21st century Hard-working people Working hard for you and me Moving higher Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher